Good morning and Merry Christmas, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Wisdom Awakening. I'm your host, Bishop E.W. Jackson. Great to be with you again today. Hope you had a wonderful weekend. Hope you got to church and, and had a great service. If you didn't get to watch our live stream service or you weren't in attendance at our church, you can go and check it out at bishopewjackson.tv. You can also get it on our app, E.W. Jackson app. Just go to your app store for Apple or the Play Store for Google or an Android phone, and you can download the app and you can watch it there. Uh, you can also, of course, see it on Facebook. Unfortunately, I've been banned from YouTube, so you can't see it there. But you can also see it on Fire Stick and Roku at the Awakening Network channel. Don't look for the Awakening Network as a program or as a, as a show. Look for the Awakening Network channel, and you can see all my materials there on Fire Stick and on Roku as well. All right, well, look, I want to get right into it. A lot of issues to discuss. The first thing I want to mention is we need to congratulate Joe Manchin for having stood against the Build Back abomination. And it looks like for the moment it's dead, and it needs to be dead. Because all that thing was 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 a, a socialist boondoggle. Um, uh, college education for illegal immigrants and, and all kinds of social programs that had nothing to do with infrastructure. And it needed to be killed. And I hope it's dead. It certainly did for the rest of this year. It won't be passed before Christmas. And we need to encourage Joe Manchin, even if you don't live in West Virginia, uh, we're next door neighbors here in Virginia, but if you don't live in West Virginia, call his office anyway. Call his office anyway and say thank you for standing against that socialist abomination, because that's all that thing is. These people are trying to fundamentally transform this country. They're not trying to help Americans. And you know, when you got people like Ayanna Presley saying Joe Manchin doesn't care about the American people, Ayanna Presley, when Ayanna Presley is angry at you and Ayanna Presley is a big supporter of something, you know it's bad for the American people. Because she, she herself is an abomination. She and the, and the other three horsewomen of the, I call them the four horsewomen of the apocalypse. Uh, Alexandria Ocates, Rashida Tlaib, uh, Ilhan Omar, and Ariana Presley. I think they want Cory Brooks to deal them as, uh, to, to, to be with them. They, they'd like to make it to five, but, you know, there's only four. Uh, so I guess she can be an assistant to the four horsewomen of the apocalypse. She's just as bad as the rest of them. I mean, these people are just horrible, horrible. And their, their idea of America is a Marxist America, and we're not having it. So I'm glad that bill is dead. And uh, pick up the telephone, call Joe Manchin, and thank him. Because, look, he's going to get a lot of pressure from the, from the Biden administration. He's going to get a lot of pressure from the left. Uh, Bernie Sanders already said that they need to do something to him, and who knows what, what they think they can do to him. But they want, to per- they want to punish him. They want to hurt him. But I really believe that he voted that way also in part because the people of West Virginia don't want socialism. The people of West Virginia don't want Marxism. They don't want an overwhelming, all-consuming, overweening state trying to take care of everything and everybody, and also trying to usher in more illegal immigrants. Have you all seen what illegal immigration this year is just, it's through the roof. I mean, they've broken all records this year. And they're continuing to push it. Look, they, they are trying to get the courts uh, remain in Mexico policy reversed so that anybody applying for asylum, whether they're entitled to it or not, can come right into the country. And you know what happens. Once they, they're in, we've got a very, very difficult time getting them out. You know, I don't mind saying, folks, that, and I know this, this will come across to some people as rather radical, but I think it's just where we are. I, and, and, and frankly, I think it's sad that we're here. We're sad that we're here. I mean, it's, it's sad that we're here, but we're here because the Democrat Party has decided they could care less about America. What they want is power. And if bringing illegal immigrants into the country is what it's going to take to get them power, they, they'll do it or anything else for that matter. Anything they've got to do in order to assure their power, they're prepared to do it. That's a sad commentary on where we are as a country, that we have such people in our country 
who are in, controlling the levers of power and, and influence, that that's what they, that's their attitude. Whatever it takes for us to get power and keep it, we'll do it. They'd love to rewrite the Constitution. They'd love to do away with the Electoral College. They'd love to cheat in elections. Anything it takes to get and keep power, they're prepared to do it. And, and uh, I, I, I really believe, and I say this without equivocation and without, really without hesitation, even though I know it would re it's received the wrong way, I think we as a country have just got to get prepared for mass deportations. I just don't, I don't see any other choice in the matter. It's not a crisis that any of us wants or wanted, but the Democrat Party has precipitated this crisis, and I think the only way for us to resolve it is we've got to do mass deportations. I think we've got to hire as many ICE agents as we need, and I think we've got to start undergoing a system of literally mass deportation, rounding people up, and kicking them out of the country. I, we've just got to do it. Because, look, that'll do two things. Number one, it will lower the number of people in the country illegally. And I think we've got to be prepared to do this in the long haul. I think we've got to do it humanely. I think we've got to do it uh, in an orderly and, and lawful fashion. But we've got to do it. I don't think we ought to be beating people up or, or you know, hurting people or torturing people. But I think we've got to go get these illegal immigrants and say, you cannot stay in our country. You've got to go. And if you are waiting for asylum, you will have to wait in Mexico while we process your case and we determine whether or not you will be allowed to stay. Now, here again, I, I know that, that the left has paralyzed us by conjuring up, you know, Hitlerian-like pictures of us rounding people up and marching them off to death camps. And no, it's not, it's not like that at all. But we've got to take care of our own country first. And if we don't have borders, then we're not a sovereign nation. It's really just that plain and simple. And so I think that's number one. And, and number two, which I've said before, I think we've got to pass a law that is absolute no tolerance policy against illegal immigration that says the following. If you ever cross our borders illegally or you stay, you come to our country legally and you overstay your visa, you will be forever barred from having American citizenship. You will be forever barred from having American citizenship, period. I, and and I, look, folks, and I'll be very honest. I think, I think we got to take it. Now, here again, bo you do both those things, and guess what the message you send across the southern border? You can go. They're going to hunt you down and kick you out. And if you ever want to be an American citizen, you better not go that way because you will never become an American citizen that way. And I think there's one third thing we ought to do. And the third thing is we've got to end birthright citizenship. We've got to end, if, you're, if neither of your parents is an American citizen, being born in the United States of America does not make you a citizen. You are a citizen of the nation that your parents belong to, not a, citizens of the, not a citizen of the United States of America. See, the 13th Amendment was never intended to give citizenship to anybody born here. The 13th Amendment was intended to resolve the issue of whether the Africans who were brought here, first as indentured servants, then ultimately became slaves, whether in fact they were, were and are American citizens. That's what it was meant to resolve. And to twist this thing and turn it into anybody passing through as a child here, that child is automatically an American citizen, is madness. I mean, China's been taking advantage of it. I think they're intended to raise up spies against us, but they've been taking advantage of it by bringing women into our country to have babies. Now those babies become American citizens. They can take them back to China, train them, indoctrinate them, brainwash them, and then send them back to America because we have absolutely no right at that point to keep them out, come on back to America, and, and 
do the bidding of communist China here. The policy is crazy and it's got to end. Now, it may require a constitutional amendment to end, but if that's what it requires, then we, the American people, just have to buckle down and get it done. That in order to be, to be born an American citizen, you must have at least one parent who is an American citizen. If, you have, if, if neither parent is an American citizen, being born in the United States of America does not make you an American citizen, period. Now, we do those three things, and you know what? We'll end our illegal immigration problem. Because a lot of people will self-deport because they won't, they won't want to get picked up by ICE. And then a lot of people who are now rushing across the border will say there's no, there's no point because, first of all, they're going to stop you at the border. We will have intense border security. They're going to catch you at the border. If you get across into the country, remember, if you ever get across into the country, we're going to make note of who you are and you are forever barred from becoming an American citizen. You will never be an American citizen. So anybody who aspires to be an American citizen, and I think most people who come across the border do, uh, certainly a lot of them do, will say, I don't want to do that because if I do that, then I'll never become an American. And then secondly, you round up every illegal immigrant here. And by the way, by the way, you do away with this dreamer nonsense. The dreamers are the children of the American people who want to have a better life than their parents had, particularly if their parents were poor, uneducated. The dreamers are the American children who want to have a better life than their parents have. What is this stuff? Your parents break our laws and suddenly you become some iconic figure? I mean, what, what is Folks, that makes no logical sense. Giving kids some exalted status because their parents broke our laws and violated our sovereignty. And now suddenly this child is, oh, they're dreamers. I mean, what, what is that? It's nuts. I say we should punish the child or hate the child. And I don't have any problem with trying to give accommodations to these children to the extent that we understand they didn't make that decision. Now, if, it's a, if you, a, a, a child brought here at the age of 16, 17 years old, as far as I'm concerned, that's their decision as much as it is their parents. And there's no way you're going to become a dreamer like that. But children brought here three, four, five, six, seven, pre-adolescent children. Okay, all right, I, I, can, I can buy that. However, however, they don't get citizenship because you don't reward anyone, anyone who's come here illegally with citizenship, anyone. I don't care what age they came. You don't reward them with citizenship. Now, for those children who are brought here before they're old enough to be conscious of what is going on, I can understand saying, okay, they'll be given permission to stay. They won't be citizens. They won't be allowed to vote, but they'll be given permission to stay. And, and, and you might have a situation in which those particular children are given some kind of statutory exception where their children can become American citizens, maybe something like that. But even that has to got to be thought through very, very carefully, because if you have a constitutional amendment that says you are not an American citizen by being born in our country unless you have a parent who is an American citizen, you pass a constitutional amendment like that, that excludes a lot of people who are now taking advantage of our laws and our constitution in order to become citizens and, and, and have anchor babies, in order to have anchor babies, that then say, well, my child is an American citizen. Now you've got, you, you know, now you got the left, oh, you can't separate the children from the parents and all that. But here again, my attitude is, it's not us doing it. The parent did that. When you decided to break our laws, just like a criminal in America who gets sent to jail, we didn't separate you from your parent, from your children. You did. When you, when you decided to commit a crime, you separated yourself from your children. So just, just a couple thoughts, because they're telling us right now that we're going to probably end up with 2.5 million illegal immigrants in, in our country this year. This year. I just read an article, and I'm not sure of its accuracy, I do want to verify it, but said for the first time in our history, we've got, um, we have the highest number 
of foreign-born people in our country, in, in our history. I think the number is somewhere around 46 million people who were not born in America in our country today. 46 million. Folks, that's 15%. 15% of the country not born in our country. And I dare say most of those people are not citizens. Because you can be born, you can be a person not born in America and become a naturalized citizen, of course. And maybe that would be the process for those people who were brought here as children before they have the ability to be cognizant of what's going on. Maybe that's what you do. You give their children, they can't be citizens because they came illegally, but their children born here, you give them a pathway to naturalized citizenship. Maybe that is something special that allows them to become citizens at an early age or something like that to accommodate the fact that their parents are innocent of wrongdoing because their parents didn't come here on their own accord. They were brought here as young children, and then you don't want to punish their children who were then born here, and all they ever know is America. But here again, do you want them to be just born citizens, or do you want to give them a pathway to citizenship so that they also always remember their parents came here illegally? not of their own accord, brought here by their parents. Their grandparents broke our law, and then they know if, that, if they hadn't done that and my parents had come here legally, I'd be automatically American citizen born, born an American citizen. But because they, our, our grandparents broke American law, I've got to go through a process. Even though I was born here, I've got to go through a process to become an American citizen. So then it would take four generations. Your grandparents wouldn't be American citizens, the parents wouldn't be American citizens, uh, and the children would have to be na become naturalized citizens. So it'd be the fourth generation before anybody would be born an American citizen who started out coming here illegally. Now, see that'll that believe me that that will change attitudes. That will change attitudes. That will stop people from trying to rush across our borders, thinking, "Oh yeah, we just get to America, we'll be fine. They'll make us citizens eventually." Because then they'll know, oh my goodness, you go across those borders illegally, you'll never be a citizen. And it'll take three more generations, even if you manage to stay. Even if you, even if you, 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 you take a young child and you manage somehow to stay, although we, we wouldn't be allowing that either. But let's say for those who manage to stay, you take a young child, that child wouldn't be a citizen. And that child's child wouldn't be a citizen. The, but the, but, and, and the child wouldn't be eligible to be a citizen because the child came here illegally, so he would not or she would not be eligible to be a citizen. But the child that they have, since we, we give them legal status because they were brought here innocently, their child would then have to go through a process of becoming a naturalized citizen. And then their child's child would be born an American citizen. Let's see. And some people say, man, that's tough. I don't think that's tough at all. I think that's just fair. Because the process of getting caught up in that begins when a person breaks American law and violates American sovereignty and bum rushes across our border. And we got to stop rewarding people for that, period. Stop rewarding them for it. Oh, Bishop, but what about the scripture that says you got to be good to the stranger? I, I, I am good to the stranger and would be. That's, that's, you know, people have, this is one of the mistakes people make, and I'm going to get into the word here in a second. This is one of the mistakes people make. People extrapolate from a principle of individual moral behavior to a broad policy that applies to millions of people. And that doesn't work. That doesn't work, and that's not what the Bible requires. Let me give you a perfect example. God forbid somebody breaks into your house, robs you, maybe even robs you at gunpoint. Later on, that person's caught. You, you, you're traumatized. You're, you're upset by it. But God ministers to your spirit, and you say, you know what? I'm just going to forgive that person. 
I'm going to forgive that person completely and totally. Now, maybe the person's unrepentant. Maybe they are repentant. But maybe they're unrepentant. And they just figure, you know, well, had a bad day. Got caught that time. Or got caught for that one. But you say, you know what? I, I'm, I'm going to forgive you. I absolve you of, of, of all. I, I'm holding absolutely nothing against you. You know what? You've done a wonderful, moral, Christian thing. However, let's say you go down to the county prosecutor's office and you go to the police department and you say to them, look, I've forgiven this person. I want you to let this person go. Because after all, you ought to forgive them too. The system ought to forgive them too. You know what I say? Time out. No, no. Something that is perfectly moral and appropriate for you as an individual would be totally wrong and, and destructive of society to apply that to all the criminals that are out hurting people, robbing people, raping people, murdering people. No, they've got to be punished. They've got to be put away. They've got to be locked up. You can't, can't apply your personal morality to societal policy because your personal morality, while virtuous, you turn that into a societal policy, it becomes suicidal. And this is the stupid stuff people, the stupid mistake people make. Oh, Bishop Jackson, but we're supposed to be good to the stranger. And I would be. If I saw an illegal immigrant who was hungry, I'd feed him. If I saw that he needed clothing, I'd give it to him. If I saw he needed help, I'd help him. And then I'd say, but you got to be deported because you don't belong here. Because I know if every one of us takes the attitude, yeah, we, we know that, but still, you know, we got to be nice and we got to be kind. And so ICE, when you, when you find an illegal immigrant, just feed them and clothe them and be nice to them. Uh, border agents, you find people coming across the border, just feed them and clothe them and be nice to them. We'd be overrun. It would be the end of America as we know it. And you know it and I know it. You remove all resistance whatsoever from the border and America as we know it is done. So don't, don't, don't let people cow you with this. You're supposed to be a Christian. Where's your compassion? I do have compassion for that individual. I do have compassion for that family. But, but I also have compassion for the American people. And I know that trying to turn compassion into a national border policy would be disastrous for this country and for the 330 million Americans that we're duty bound to serve and, and to protect and to defend. I say we're duty bound. We as Americans, have a, I think we have a certain covenant with each other. We have to protect our own country, protect our own people, protect our own citizens first. And I don't feel the least bit compunction about that or the least bit hesitancy uh, or, or, or pang of conscience. It's the right thing to do. I said the same thing about, about homosexuality and lesbianism. Look, I, 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 as, as behaviors, I hate them. I hate those behaviors. As matters of public policy, I am vehemently, aggressively opposed to them. Because while I would treat the individual homosexual with the same respect and compassion and love that I treat any other human being because God expects and requires that of me. When it comes to transforming this country into a country of homosexuals and transgenders and pedophiles or a nation that sanctions and agrees with and supports and promotes that mess, the compassion I have for the individual on one hand is a separate and completely distinct matter from the absolute vehement opposition I have to policies that would enshrine that behavior in a, into, into normality in our country, in our culture, in our public policy. You see the distinction? 
you can't apply individual moral decisions and judgments to societal policy. Now, I'm not saying that there's no room in society and in our policy for compassion, and I'm not saying there's no room for biblical morality, because obviously we're a Judeo-Christian nation and our policies are built on that. What I'm saying is when you begin to extrapolate from individual morality and start trying to apply that broadly as a matter of public policy, you fail miserably. It, it, it just doesn't work. In fact, I didn't mean to get into all of this, but, but it's worth exploring and giving you something to think about. Here, here is a, another perfect example. I tell you, I've told you before when I come on uh, to do this program and my radio program, anywhere I'm speaking publicly, I don't lie. I'll never tell you something that I know to be untrue. If I say it, it's because I believe it to be true. I'll never tell you anything that I suspect may be untrue. If I suspect it's untrue, even though I don't know it to be untrue, I'm not going to say it because I think, well, I don't absolutely know it's untrue, but I'll put this out there because it's going to help me. Or I just don't do that. I'm serious. I am committed because God tells us we're supposed to hate lies and falsehood and hate bearing false witness. So I'm supposed to give you, and I try, I endeavor to give you the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help me God. But let's say like D-Day, for example. In a very real way, Eisenhower lied to Adolf Hitler. Because they convinced Adolf Hitler that the D-Day landing was going to be somewhere else. They set up a whole fake... Um, uh, 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 system of, of, of trucks and tanks and, and airplanes and made it look like they were amassing in one place and they were actually going to land at Normandy and Omaha Beach and a couple of others. That was a lie. It was a deception. Was it immoral? Absolutely not. It was necessary in the context of war against an evil force. And within that context, within that context, now we, we got to be careful here because you can't extrapolate this into every situation. But within that context, deceiving the enemy to gain the advantage was the moral thing to do. We didn't do it to do evil to anyone. We didn't do it to, 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 to subjugate anyone. We didn't do it to, to enslave anyone. We did it to stop the evil march of Nazism across the world. And in the context of war, it was perfectly appropriate. Now, if I come on this podcast and I say something to deceive you, there's, I can't justify that any way, shape, or form. It's morally wrong. But in the case of Eisenhower and D-Day, it was morally right. Because the ultimate goal was to defeat evil. So that's just another one of those examples of how people try to hem Christians in. I mean, what if Hitler said, you can't deceive me as to where you're going to land. You're supposed to be a Christian nation. Christian nations don't lie or deceive. Well, who cares what he thinks, right? I mean, the man was supremely evil and needed to be stopped. Now, here again, I don't want to go too far with this and suggest and therefore Anything you do to anybody in fighting evil is okay. No, that's not true. <laughs> that's not true. These things have to be discerned and judged properly. I mean, we, we, don't, we, we don't go out and commit genocide against people because we think it's justified because we're defending evil. I mean, we're fighting evil. 
So I, I won't I won't go any further than that. It's it's it starts to get into into complexities, but I think you understand the examples I've given. I got over into war, and the people could take that and run, and then what communism does. Communism says, well, anything we do to advance the cause of our utopia is acceptable, including mass murder, genocide, starvation. That's why communism has killed 100 million people. And that's probably a modest estimate. And all of it justified because after all, look at what we're building, the utopia. Now that's, that is completely and totally bogus because the underlying premise is wrong. They weren't trying to create a utopia. And even if they were, it would still be wrong. God cannot be glorified by inglorious means. All right, let's go to the word. So at any rate, I'm not backing off of my positions on, on illegal immigration. Let me give you the three points again. You cross our borders illegally, you can never be a citizen, number one. Number two, we round up every illegal immigrant and we deport them. We do mass deportations, we have no choice, number two. Number three, a constitutional amendment that says, unless one of your parents is an American citizen, being born on the shores of the United States of America does not make you a citizen. You are a citizen of the country to which your parents are citizens or of which your parents are citizens or your parent is a citizen. You are not a citizen of the United States of America by virtue of being born here. We need a constitutional amendment to that effect so that we put, the, put an end to the anchor baby system. We do those three things. And I said, as a matter of policy, for people who were brought here before the age of majority, before, they before the age of cognizance even, we would allow them to stay. You know, they come of age, this is all they've known, we would allow them to stay, but they wouldn't be citizens. They wouldn't be citizens. And their children would not automatically be citizens because their children would be born to a parent who's not a citizen, but their children would be given some kind of, of we'd give them maybe a, a special process for becoming naturalized. Because here again, this is a person who lives with a parent whose parent has never known anything but the United States of America, and now you got a child born to that parent and that child has never known anything except the United States of America. That's the third generation out, and we would allow that child to become an American citizen, and then from that point on, that child's children would be American citizens. That's four generations out for that to happen. We start doing those things, and you know what? Flooding across our borders would stop, and people would start self-deporting because they know that if they didn't sooner or later, ICE is gonna catch them and kick them out when they're not ready. That would be the end of our illegal immigration problem. I guarantee you. Somebody ought to take up that as a platform. Okay, let's get to Colossians. Oh man. Let me not go there and get myself into trouble with my wife. Because <laughs> I'm not a candidate for anything. All right, Colossians chapter, we're in Colossians chapter 2. And, uh, oh my goodness gracious, wow, I used up a lot of time with that, but that was worth talking about, that's for sure. Hey, Merry Christmas, by the way, everybody. I meant to say that at the opening of the program. Merry Christmas. Saturday is Christmas. Praise God. Check out my message uh, yesterday, I think I mentioned, it was called the Rhema of Christmas. The Rhema of Christmas, R-H-E-M-A. If you don't know what Rhema is, check it out. Check out that message. In fact, check out the last two. The first one was called The Revelation of Christmas. The second one was called The Rhema of Christmas, a little mini-series. I'll be, I'll be talking about the year-end contemplations uh, this coming Sunday, talking about how we deal with um, assessing, evaluating, looking back on this past year of our lives. Okay, I'll get to that. All right, let's come, let's come back to Colossians because, man, I'm, whew, but, but we've got some, we, we'll, we'll make the most of the time we've got. Okay, um, we finished up last time um, with uh, verse 
9, for in him dwells, uh, 10 actually, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. You are complete in Christ Jesus. You are fulfilled in him. 11th verse, in him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Now, let's deal with this for a little bit. What The circumcision not made by hands, well, what is that? As we know what the circumcision is, circumcision was a mark of the covenant of the old covenant people, beginning with Abraham, with God. Uh, remember that, that covenant relationship required the shedding of blood. And so the children of Israel shed their blood in circumcision. Okay, and remember the circumcision was a mark, obviously, that could only be placed on men, which again, consistent with the Adamic legacy, the, the, the legacy of sin came through the authority of the man who God created first, instructed first, and gave first the instruction that don't eat of the tree of the of forbidden fruit, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You, everything else you can eat of, don't eat of that. You know, and I don't have time to go back, but, but you ought to check this out because a lot of people are not aware of this. You know, God never said that to Eve. Now, she was bound by that rule, of course. But where did she learn it from? From Adam. God told Adam before Eve was on the, in the picture. He told Adam, don't eat of that tree. And so when Eve was brought forth out of a rib from Adam, Adam was the one who then taught Eve. Okay, God said, don't eat of that. Eve apparently didn't take it that seriously because when the devil started talking to her about it, you know, the Bible says she, she saw that it was a tree that was pleasant to the eyes. It was a tree that, that uh, made one wise. It was a tree that was good to eat. Now, she didn't do all that. That was all lies the devil was telling her. I mean, but since she took and ate and then gave it to Adam. But see, the, here's the interesting thing. God didn't say to Eve, cursed is the ground for your sake. He said that to Adam. Adam, cursed. Meaning, earth, Adam, the earth is now cursed because of what you've done. What you've done. You know, a lot of people say God cursed the earth. Uh, in fact, I'm reading a book. Um, I'm reading Paul Kanger's book, uh, Karl Marx and the Devil. And he talks about the devil describing God as having cursed the earth. But if you read that text, God didn't curse the earth. He said, cursed is the ground for your sake. In other words, Adam, because of you, the ground is now cursed. He didn't say, I'm cursing it. I curse it. You know, people put things in God's mouth that God didn't say. Adam had the authority in the earth. And when Adam disconnected from God and connected with Satan, the death that was in Satan was now flowing through Adam and flowing through Adamic authority, his authority, and that authority, I'd say, messed up everything. Because now it's polluted with sin and death and degradation. It messed up everything. God is merely pointing out to Adam what he's done. Cursed is the ground now for your sake. Now you're going to eat your bread by the sweat of your brow. In other words, now you've got to scratch and dig and claw to sustain yourself was before everything was provided. And Adam, I believe, did everything by faith. He just, he, he, Adam didn't sweat a day in his life until sin came into the picture. He didn't sweat a day in his life. He tended and kept the garden, but he did it all by faith. And he could have kicked Satan out of there by faith, but he didn't do that. Instead, he went along with his wife. Now, Men don't take this the wrong way, and ladies, don't you take it the wrong way, but men are the heads of their households. Um, I think part of the problem in the body of Christ today and part of the problem in our world today is too many men are following their wives instead of lead, leading their families. And here again, as I've said many times before, I didn't mean to get off into this, but it's not a, a lorded over dictatorial, manipulative, leadership. It's, it's leadership like the leadership of Jesus Christ. It's loving, compassionate leadership, but it's leadership nevertheless. Jesus said, you call me Lord and master. This is when he said, when he washed the disciples' feet, he said, you call me Lord and master. He said, and you say well, 
for so I am. He said, but if I, your Lord and master, wash your feet, so should you do likewise. So in other words, that was the kind of leader Jesus was. Jesus was a servant leader, a compassionate leader, a loving leader, a humble leader. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart. It's that kind of leadership, but it's still leadership. I mean, Jesus made clear he was the leader. But it wasn't the kind of leadership that that word can conjure up in us today. And if Adam had been the leader of his household, as God called him and appointed him to be, we wouldn't have been in the mess that we're in. Of course, Jesus came and corrected it all, and we're in a better position than we were then, ultimately, because Jesus paid it all. So Jesus did what Adam failed to do. And now he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. So, so ultimately, as always, I've said, everything Satan tries to do against you, if you put your trust in God, God will turn it for you and put you in a better position than you were before Satan attacked you. And that's exactly what he's done for us. We're in a better position now than we would have been with Adam. So Satan attacked us thinking he was going to bring man down. And what Satan did was to be used by God to help exalt man. Praise God. He turns the curse into the blessing every time. So it says, uh, in him you were circumcised. That circumcision was, of course, the cutting of the flesh, the cutting of the foreskin. And now you're circumcised not in the flesh as a Christian, but in the spirit. In the spirit. And see, I believe this circumcision is a, is a picture of, of the old man dying, being cut, and a new man coming alive in covenant. See, the cut of the covenant is the cut of both death and life. It's the death of the old and the beginning or the coming to life of the new. So you as, and I as Christians are circumcised, circumcised, circumcised in the spirit says, by the putting off of the body of the sins of the flesh. So see, we're no longer people of flesh. We still live in this stuff, true. But one day, that's going to be perfected. It's going to be the perfect match for the born-again spirit that you became when you accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. By the circumcision of Christ. Jesus was the one who administered the cut. Jesus was the one who let the old man die and brought a new man to life. And you understand I'm using man generically, so it applies to you too, women. And this, this stuff of, you know, man is, can, can, be, can be gender specific, but it can also be generic, as in mankind. But, you know, you got crazies out here who just can't, they can't accept that. But it's true. Man is the species, but he has two genders in that species. There is the male man and the female man. <laughs> and Jesus Christ circumscribed, I keep saying circumscribed, forgive me, um, circumcised us all. Circumscribed us too. <laughs> he did that too. Circumscribed is to, is to, is to surround. He surrounded us too. But I'm, I'm getting right now that spiritual cut that he made in us that caused the old to die and the new to be born. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. And all things are of God, who has given us the ministry of reconciliation, whereby God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. Wow. You and I have the circumcision of the spirit. Cut off from the old. 
born alive, born again, born from above into the new. We'll come back to that tomorrow. God bless each and every one of you. I love you. Oh, please don't forget our Martin Luther King Leadership Breakfast, January the 17th. That's Monday, the King holiday, January the 17th, 10 a.m. at the Chesapeake Marriott at 725 Woodlake Drive. Tickets are $30. Vendor tables are $100, which includes a ticket to the breakfast. And we've also got reserve tables that you can get, a reserve table of 10 for $350. And we invite you to come and be a part of that. We're honoring uh, many of the community leaders. We're giving scholarships to young people. Uh, the proceeds going, are going to help the William Jackson Youth Center and the Maximum Potential Christian Academy for school children ages preschool through sixth grade. Uh, it, it is going to be a magnificent event. Uh, Mayor Rick West, the mayor of Chesapeake, is going to be the keynote speaker. I, of course, will be making remarks as I always do. I've got some very important things. We've got a very important announcement to make. So, so you want to make sure you attend. Go to thecall.org. That's the website, thecall.org, the church website, and just click on the Martin Luther King Breakfast. It'll come up as soon as you go there. And if you can't come, but you want to support, you can make a contribution, or you can buy tickets that we will then donate to others who can't come. We often donate, in fact, we always donate some tickets to young people to get young people there who can't afford to pay the $30. Uh, so we, often, we have lots and lots of young people who come uh, and be a part of the breakfast. So sometimes people who want to support it but can't come donate tickets. So you can make a donation in general or you can buy tickets and say, please donate these to some worthy young person uh, because I can't come. So it doesn't matter where you are. I know you're watching me from right now from all over the country. doesn't matter where you are. Um, this is going to be live streamed to the entire nation. In fact, live streamed to the world. And we want to make sure that you see it because we really believe that this breakfast strikes such a different tone than we've had over the last two years with Black Lives Matter and Antifa and defund the police and dismantle the police and the police are the bad guys. In the meantime, you've had an unprecedented number of black citizens killed by black criminals in the streets of our cities, including 243 youth, innocent young people, not gangbangers, not teenagers out in the middle of the night, but young people sleeping in their beds, playing in their living rooms, riding their bikes in their streets, on their, in their backyard, in their neighborhoods. When gunfights broke out, have break, are breaking out, and, and th these, these young thugs don't care who gets killed in the process, and very often it's some young, innocent person who is shot dead. Now that's what's happened since the defund the police and dismantle the police movement. At the Martin Luther King Leadership Breakfast, we will be honoring our first, first responders. We will be honoring our police officers, honoring our firefighters, honoring our sheriffs, uh, among others, of course, letting them know we appreciate the job that they do in maintaining law and order and preventing some of these things from happening. I told you all, I just remember my church, her sister and niece almost shot dead sitting in a car because a gunfight broke out with some guys and they just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time, minding their business, doing nothing wrong. And, and 30 bullets flew through their automobile. It's a miracle that nobody was killed. 30 bullets entered that automobile. One young lady had her jaw shattered, bullet entered one side and went through to the other, shattered her entire lower jaw, but she's alive. The other young lady had more minor wounds, but, as all, but right now is temporarily blind in one eye. This stuff is, is tragic. And, and what I'm telling you, these things I'm talking to you about, police aren't doing these things. White supremacists aren't doing them. They're these thugs in the black community that these George Soros prosecutors are creating a revolving door for and allowing them to go back out in the street. And what they're doing is generally hurting other black people. That stuff has got to stop. But the, the, our breakfast honors leaders from all backgrounds it honors our police, our firefighters. They're included as opposed to being excluded as if they were enemies. So if you want to support something that is refreshing and that reminds us of what it takes for us to have a civil society, this breakfast would be just the thing. 
and we're going to make sure the whole country, indeed the whole world, sees it. So even though it's a localized event, it's going to have national import, I believe, in the years to come. This is the 22nd time we've done it. We did it last year, but with, of course, a truncated ceremony and no audience. So this time we're going back to the full-blown breakfast. As far as I'm concerned, COVID, and I'm, I don't mean this in a vulgar way. I hope you'll understand it in the way I mean it. COVID can go to hell. Because <laughs> that's, that's where it came from and that's where it belongs. In hell. I, I curse COVID in the name of Jesus. I curse this communist Chinese Wuhan virus in the name of Jesus. And I plead the blood of Jesus Christ over you <clears throat> and over your family and over your business and over everything that you set your hands to do. May you be healthy and whole and live out the full measure of your days and may this country do so in a normal fashion and get back to business as usual and stop walking in fear and trepidation and under the tyrannical rule of some of these little would-be dictators who see COVID as an opportunity to exercise absolute control over everybody's life. So, didn't mean consider that a footnote. Martin Luther King breakfast, January 17th, Monday, 10 a.m., Chesapeake Marriott, 725 Woodlake Drive. Go to thecall.org and support it. And please, whatever you do, even if you say, Bishop, I financially, I just can't do it. Pray for us, okay? Your prayers mean everything. As I say, prayer will, will, will produce resources. Resources can never replace prayer. God bless you. I love you. And remember, we cannot be defeated if we will not quit because we are on God's side.